My name's William Marler. I'm 23 years old, I'm an animator, I do stand-up comedy, and I have cystic fibrosis. In this podcast, I'll be helping share real stories from real people affected by CF. Hi, I'm Rue. Hi, my name is Pearl. Hi, my name is Charles Michael Duke. I have cystic fibrosis. And I'm coming to you straight from the lungs. Straight from the lungs. Straight from the lungs. Cystic fibrosis affects lots of different areas of the body in lots of different ways. Sometimes these can be slightly annoying and other times absolutely terrifying. However, there are also many ways to treat CF and many people who decide to push their bodies to the very limit. One of the main ways CF can affect the body is by clogging up the lungs with a thick sticky mucus which can lead to developing chest infections. Dr. Helen Barr is a respiratory consultant at the Wolfson CF Centre in Nottingham. The treatment of a bug that's picked up in the chest will really depend on the individual and how well they are and what bug they've grown. And the treatment options will range from having a course of oral tablets or it may include nebulised antibiotics. But if people are poorly, when they pick up the infection, we may require intravenous drugs. So different antibiotics can be given in tablet form compared to what can be given intravenously. So there are more types of drug that have been given intravenously and if people tend to be sicker, we will use this because we can use a wider range of medications to target the bug in different ways. So as long as we're proactive in trying to fight chest infections, we can often keep them at bay with various types of medicine. Unfortunately, all medicine has imperfections and side effects and someone who experienced that firsthand is Shaborn. This happened, I think, in 2012. It was a couple of years ago. I had an abscessus type of infection and I basically got put on this drug called amikacin. I think I was on it about three times. After these three times, I started to notice that I had ringing in my ears and I started to, within conversations, I would be constantly saying, what? Can you repeat that again? I did actually kind of feel like I was in this bubble. So my mum realised there was obviously something wrong, pulled out the leaflet and it said side effects were ringing in ears or problems with hearing. She then booked me in for a hearing test and yeah, I lost, I think it's the high frequency sounds. I wear hearing aids in both ears. At the time when we found out, I was absolutely distraught. And it certainly has been quite a thing to take on. But now I've kind of just got used to it. Most days I feel like I'm hearing quite normally like anyone else. But it was quite difficult at the start. So there's different ways that chest infections can be treated. But it's much more important to try and prevent them growing in the first place. This can be done with airway clearance and exercise and there's many ways to do both. Let's start with airway clearance. Here's Fiona, my physiotherapist. Well, there are the techniques that people come up from paediatrics already using, so things like PEP mask or PEP with a mouthpiece. The principle behind those is to normally, whether you've got CF or not, your airways close down a little as you breathe out. By having positive expiratory pressure, that's what the PEP stands for, you're splinting your airways open and secretions move with the flow of air. So as you're breathing out, if your airways are then staying open with 
that pressure, then it enables any secretions to move more easily. So we have people coming up, whether you prefer using a mask or a mouthpiece is, is up to the individual. And then the other devices people come up with are the oscillating PEP devices. And there are various ones on the market. The ones we use here is the acapella, the aerobica and the flutter or the periopep. Uh, there are other things like the long flute, cornet, and they again have a positive pressure backlog in, in, in the airwaves, but they also have some oscillation. The idea is to get the oscillation at the, the beat frequency of the cilia, so it's again assisting with removal of secretions. Another device, more common in North America, is the vest, which is a device worn across the chest that vibrates to help move the mucus in the lungs. If you've ever seen a YouTube video or TV documentary about CF, it probably showed the vest because of how severe it looks and sounds. Percussion, which involves beating on the chest, is often shown for the same reason and is more common in babies and young children. Whatever technique you use, whatever adjunct you use, it all comes down to your breathing pattern. You know, like we're sitting here at the moment, breathing quite gently. We've not got high oxygen demands on our body, so we're only using a small part of our lung capacity. And it's about getting people to take a deeper breath, so they're using, you know, aerating more of their lungs. And whatever device you use, or you might just choose to be doing the breathing exercises on their own, it's about breathing that's the important bit of the adjuncts so you're you know somebody sitting using those devices it's not exciting is it doing physio doing something like this and it's very easy to switch off you know be watching television be doing something on your laptop you know whatever and not really focusing on doing good breaths and if you're just sitting there breathing you know tidal volume like we're breathing now very shallowly then you're not going to get the full benefit of that device you know we all cut corners and physio is something you do day in day out you're going to switch off and get into little bad habits and it's much much better to do 10 minutes of it properly than 25 minutes you know where you're gazing out the window a bit there's no one technique that has been shown to be streets ahead of anything else. I've worked with people with CF for a long time, since the mid-80s. Things have changed. A lot of these devices have come along. You've got a lot more treatment options now. So I think it's important to work with people about what their personal preferences are. <laughs> to do this sort of thing though because I do a lot of exercise. Three years ago I did the London Marathon. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I'm telling you this because I'm better than all of you. Just so <laughs> I should just say at this point, um, like I said, I did the London Marathon. I don't like to go on about it. <laughs> exercise is now understood to be a cornerstone of treating cystic fibrosis which is strange considering it used to be thought of as something that people with CF had to avoid for risk of it being too hard on our bodies. Today, that's the very reason it's so important for us to do. One of the problems some people face with exercise is knowing where to start or finding something that's enjoyable. YouTube is a great resource because there's usually something for everyone. There's also websites like Paxter, which is designed specifically for people with CF. Not only are there workouts for things like airway clearance, bone density and lung function, but some of the instructors in the videos actually have CF themselves, like Sophie. But just keep going for the whole time, so you're going to keep your chest up, you're going to keep your core nice and tight, so keep pushing yourselves all the way to the end, you can do this. Natalie. 
Today I'm going to take you through a resistance training workout to music using weights. And if you wanted to get a feeling for what it's like with a bar, you can always use something like a broom handle. Aaron. Okay, now we're on to my sport, mixed martial arts. So a hand stayer, we have a nice solid base, slightly bent through our knee, back shoulder is in line with our back hip. And Katie. Pranayama. In our yoga breathing practice, it helps to close the eyes, bringing our attention inward. Exercise is something that can seem like a massive chore until the moment you find something you love. For some people, it can then become a lifelong passion. Jerry exercises rigorously, which is part of the reason why he's been able to reach the age of 61 with CF. Despite being in his sixth decade, though, he's not stopping anytime soon. I don't run as much anymore because I'm getting older. I've been exercising so long and pole vaulting and ran a few marathons that I had a partial knee replacement a year ago. So my main focus now and has been probably for four or five years is biking. So I do a lot of biking. I bike pretty much seven days a week. We call it Bike to Breathe, Jerry and M's great CF bike adventure. So we've been biking four years and we will be biking again, going from Buffalo, New York up to Montreal, we calculated it, the trip and the routes that were taken, it's like 500 miles, which we'll do over like eight days. And as again, it's to bring awareness uh, to the importance of exercise and being compliant and adherent, because I believe it's not just about taking your medicine. You know, you can pour water on a stone, but it's not going to penetrate. You can sit there and do your medications, but if you don't expand and open up your lungs, medication doesn't get into those deep airways. So I'm a big advocate of exercise. It's kept me quite healthy and alive with cystic fibrosis to 61. Today, it's really important that you look at cystic fibrosis as a total program. You know, it's all about your body, your mind, and your spirit. All the pieces of the pie make up the whole. So you can say, well, I have cystic fibrosis and I'm compliant to my medications, but that's only one part of it. You know, you have to live a life. You need to get out there. You need to exercise. Anybody that's, you know, somewhat healthy, it's important to exercise, to eat right, nutrition, and to get out there and have a life and socialize and experience everything in life. And I think that's today why more and more people are living longer with CF. They are becoming more independent. When I grew up, you know, people weren't really going away to college. They weren't getting in relationships, getting married and uh, having a family. But today that's kind of a normal thing with people with CF. So I think the world of CF is becoming a lot more normal. People are living normal lives. And that's really, I think, what's a key factor in the world of CF. You know, I've run my marathons. I've done all these things. So for me, it's just, I know it works for me and I just try to to pass it on to other people. It's common for people to assume that cystic fibrosis only affects the lungs, but another part of life that CF has a huge effect on is nutrition. Here's Darren, my dietitian. Nutrition in CF is massively important. We know from lots and lots of research that having a good BMI supports people to have a good lung function. Not just because of being a healthy weight, but also being able to fight infections, the amount of treatments people have to do. You need some mental resilience. And if people aren't well nourished, their mind's not going to be as good at concentrating and being able to focus on all the things that they need to do overall. As well as that, having an infection means that somebody's nutritional needs are raised compared to somebody without CF and actually there's other complications that go around having CF like diabetes, a pancreas that doesn't produce enzymes that it needs to, having liver disease, for some people having 
kidney disease and just CF affecting pretty much every organ in the body means that somebody with CF has more nutritional needs than the average person. People with CF generally need more calories because of not absorbing fats properly. It means that people need enzymes and that might not be 100% efficient. So you sometimes need to eat a little bit more than people need for their body to help cover that. So the calorie intake of somebody with CF is higher. People generally say that people with CF need an extra 10% up to 100%. So that could be up to double what somebody without CF needs. The younger people are generally the more calories they need. So a growing teenager, 17, 18, with CF, if they're fairly unwell, they don't absorb their fats very well, they might need up to 6,000 calories a day. And that's then really difficult to get in if you're trying to eat a really healthy, balanced diet of lower fat foods, lots of fruits and vegetables. That can be quite difficult. You just never stop eating, really. So people that aren't doing so well, struggle with their weight, we definitely recommend a higher fat diet. And if we can, we modulate that to be the healthy fats now as well. We don't just recommend going out and eating lard and cream cakes all day long. Actually balancing that with some of the more heart-healthy fats, the olive oils, the, the vegetable-based oils, oily fish... So just choosing some more heart-healthy foods and balancing that out with eating enough fruits and vegetables to give you the vitamins and minerals and fibre they provide, but without making people feel overfull and not wanting to eat otherwise. As Darren said, some people really struggle with their weight because they have to eat so much just to maintain it. Beth was one of those people, and like many others in the same situation, she was offered a feeding tube. Even though it did help, she wasn't exactly thrilled about it. The peg I wish I didn't have to get because that's like left not a very nice scar on my stomach. I can't really do anything about that now. Like it's healed up nicely, but it's still like a second belly button now. I really don't like that. So I was really underweight. I just sort of stopped putting on weight and stopped growing. So I had like a litre bottle of like yellowy milk stuff every night. So I could just go to sleep and be attached to this machine. Like an IV drip, but a milk drip. So instead of having all this extra food, like I still had all my meals as normal. I maybe didn't have breakfast because I was a bit full in the morning. But just eating as normal, a lot of calories overnight, which helped. And I did put on weight and then they took it out. Every couple of months they had to change the peg and that was horrible. You have to lie down and then they take the water out of the bubble which holds it in and then they pull it out and then they put a new one in and it's just a really horrible feeling in the stomach. So that was horrible. But I suppose I have to be thankful for it because it did do something good. It did help me put on weight. But at the end I've got what looks like a second belly button from where my peg was and it's that bit which I really hate. But I still like wear bikinis when I'm on holiday anyway. Oh well, someone will see it and think, oh, she must have been through something, which I have. So yeah, this is what I've got to show it. And oh well, if people see it, I can't do anything about it. So yeah. So three years ago, I did the London Marathon. <laughs> I don't like to go on about it. So people with cystic fibrosis need to think about their treatment every single day. But for some people, being strict with it can help them reach the top of the world. Nick became the first person with CF to climb Mount Everest in 2016, and he had to do an enormous amount of work to get there. 
First thing you have to do is build up the right experience over lots of years because you never know how you're going to react to altitude. So you can have someone that smokes 20 a day that's good at altitude and you know a top Olympic athlete that's really bad at it. You, you never know until you get there. So it's important to work up through different mountains and gain that experience. And then it's about having a team. And I climbed with some people that I knew as well as a, a professionally organized expedition who essentially provide all the logistics for it and the support for it, which means you don't have to organize and do everything yourself and I went with a, a very professional guide called David Hamilton who's climbed Everest uh, eight or nine times and I'd climbed with him um, about 10-12 years earlier on a different mountain. Essentially you put together a team or you join a professionally organized team and they sort out the logistics and you've essentially got to make sure that you get fit enough and if in good enough shape to actually go out there and undertake something like that because it's ridiculously hard particularly with the lower levels of oxygen in the atmosphere at high altitude. I mean I consider myself hugely hugely lucky with CF for a number of reasons. From a dietary perspective my stomach isn't affected in the in the normal way that some people with CF it is. I don't put weight on as easily but you know I don't have to take the enzymes and so it's mainly been lungs and uh, my lung capacity is still reasonably good and with the new medication that I'm on it meant that my lungs were a lot clearer than they had been previously. It made mountaineering easier for me compared to my previous experiences but it was still harder than it would be for a normal person because things like not putting as much weight on and because I don't have the same lung capacity as most people that would be doing it who'd be extremely fit athletes. So what I have to do when I'm training is try and compensate for that and I try and compensate for that by becoming fitter than people who, who are on there who don't have CF. My rationale is that if I'm fitter physically then that will help to compensate and it will help me keep up from a speed perspective. I'll never be the fastest person on there but I can be a reasonable speed. So yeah, I do horrendous exercises over the, I keep myself fit generally anyway, but then the six months in the lead to it, I do exercises such as running up and down many hundreds of flights of stairs, and I add in things like ankle weights and a, a rucksack, expedition rucksack, which is full of water, and carry about 26 kilos, and I'll do that for hours at a time. I'll run up and down a hill for hours at a time, which is good because it means that every, every circuit of the hill that I do, I know what a good time is, and I can try and beat that and I can try and improve my fitness and then every half an hour or so of that of that exercise I will take a 30 second break to take on some high energy liquids and some food because I obviously need to keep my energy levels up and I don't want my body to start burning through fat or muscle and I also go to the Alps and I would get up first thing in ski season I'd get up first thing as soon as there's the slightest bit of light and carry my skis to the top of the mountain and ski down things like that to, to get fit and uh, I found the exercise routine worked pretty well. After spending three years focusing on Everest, Nick was left with a void when he finished the challenge, but it didn't take long for him to work out how to fill that void. He wants to be the first person with CF to climb the highest mountain on every continent, but even that challenge isn't enough for him. You're trying to do Kilimanjaro in a day. From a mountaineering perspective, there is a, a way you can do that. But you'd have to get hyper-fit, but actually 
what you could do is my intention would be to go and acclimatize on different mountains first because the obstacle to climbing it in a day and the reason that people find it difficult is because they're not acclimatized whereas actually if you make your body adjust to that height in advance of that then actually you stand a chance of doing it it sounds crazy but there is actually a very scientific approach you can take to it interestingly i won't be the first person to climb kilimanjaro with cf because someone's done that in fact two people with CF have done that so far. If you do have any big exercise aims, it's better to do it in earlier life than later, I think. Yeah, throughout the week, we'll be meeting some of those running the London Marathon. Of course, it's a tough enough test of physical endurance, but imagine trying to complete it if you suffer from cystic fibrosis. Well, that is, of course, exactly what William Marler from Derbyshire aims to do this Sunday and raise money to try to find a cure. All right, I'm not fooling anyone. I love to go on about the fact that I ran the London Marathon, but I promise that it isn't really because I'm better than everyone else. If anything, it's because when I exercised as a kid, Everyone else was better than me. I don't know whether you went into swimming because Alexander went into swimming and it was just convenient, but to begin with, you enjoyed swimming, didn't you? I think so. And then it got a bit more difficult as... You, you got know. older and people started to overtake you and go past you. you and uh, You got a bit demoralised, didn't you? So I kept saying to you, OK, if you don't do swimming, let's look at something else. Eventually, I did find something I enjoyed. My physiotherapist at the time, Marie suggested I try Couch to 5k, which is designed to take someone from never running at all to running 5 kilometers in 9 weeks. After successfully completing the program, I slowly ran further and further, and 6 months later, did a 10k race. In the rain. Pouring rain, and I was at work looking at the rain thinking he's going to get so he's going to get unwell. It was absolutely tipping it down. It was horrible. I mean, I don't know how it was for you running, but for me watching, I found some shelter at Nottingham University, but I was absolutely soaked. Nine months later, did a half marathon, and then I became that person. I think you rang me from uni and said that you'd put an application in for London. My heart what? sank, and I thought, no, he won't get it. You don't get places for London. People try for years and they never get it. I was hoping you didn't get a place. That sounds horrible, but I was hoping you didn't get a place because I was worried about the implications and the training. After hearing Nick speak about his gruelling training routine, you're probably expecting me to say that I did a similar thing. Yeah, no. I think I did as much as I could, given the fact that I was balancing university work as well at the time, but I certainly did nowhere near as much as I should have done. Then, one day, none of that mattered, because we woke up on the 26th of April 2015 and all set off to central London. But do you remember when we got on the train, because was full of people going to the marathon? I hear you were out for a little, little short run today or something. <laughs> she yeah. was good. Then the planning came in. We had to go back to the train station, like railway station, to places where we'd planned we'd to... we told you where we were going to be, to see you. Around about where we were going to be, where we were first saw you. It was really, really round. It was about five or six deep, deep. at that stage. I saw this person coming with his fold-up bike <laughs> the other direction. Against all the flow of people walking, trying to get through. It was your uncle, my brother, 
Yeah. And I, I was thinking, this stupid idiot coming this way with... Because we'd been on the phone to him trying to tell him where we were and trying to meet yeah. up and we managed to meet up with him. It was a military operation trying to get to stations yeah. and walk yeah. in between and work out where... Are we going to get to him at this time? Is he going to have gone past? Are we, is there any point? That was quite yeah. stressful. Yeah. But each time I was thinking, he should have got here by now. He should have got here by now. Is he all right? Worrying about you. Trying to work it out. Although I never wanted you to give up, I kept thinking... He should give up. He should. He looks tired. This is too much. Perhaps he should give up. Perhaps we should be encouraging him to give up, even though I don't want you to give up. But I'm worried about what he's going to do to you. Even though I ran for nearly seven hours, there wasn't ever a point where I wanted to give up. I absolutely hated the idea of being the guy that nearly ran the London Marathon. I also wasn't just running for me. I wanted to run for all the people with cystic fibrosis that, unfortunately, through no fault of their own, will never have the opportunity to do so. When I registered to take part, when I crossed the start line, when I crossed the finish line, I thought of them. Thank God you've done it. <laughs> Thank God you finished. Thank goodness that's over. So, no, absolutely, yeah, bursting with pride, but also thinking, you know, thank God he's done it, he's managed to get round, and you look absolutely shattered, but yeah, so proud. If I'm running and I find it difficult and I want to give up, and I think, no, don't give up, because William didn't give up, so you're definitely my um, inspiration. But I know he can do it, he will, he'll do it, no matter how long it takes. Anything he puts his mind to, if he thinks he's going to do it, he'll do it. I think he thinks, take the opportunity while it's there. That's when you said, I've done that, now I want to do Tokyo, New York and everything else, and I was just like I wanted to slap you I did I, 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 I cannot believe that you can even think of putting us through that again that's ridiculous if you feel like your mum's going to give you a hassle about that then just tell her you're thinking oh, I'm going to go and do Everest and then say oh, I'm only joking mum I'm going to do these marathons she'd be relieved then <laughs> it's really wonderful to see so many people with cystic fibrosis who push their bodies to the limit and I'm inspired by every story I hear You'd be surprised how many bodybuilders and personal trainers there are with CF as well. It's so motivational for me when I see people like Sophie Holmes, Josh Llewellyn-Jones, George Evans and Ben Mudge. Hi, my name's Ben Mudge. I'm 26. I'm from Northern Ireland, just outside of Belfast. I have cystic fibrosis and I am an online coach and personal trainer. I got into bodybuilding, it was one of those things that just happened upon it. When I was growing up I played a lot of sports, anything really, rugby, American football, basketball, a little bit of football as well. And obviously after I left school I kind of lost that system. So I needed to find the replacement for that and the gym was quite a natural fit for me. I was always quite lean, so I always could see the muscles I had and I just thought I just want to get these bigger. So it was quite a natural progression from there, but again I had no idea what I was doing back then. And I started working in a gym and one of the guys said, oh you should enter this uh, fitness model company. I had no idea what that was. He said, oh, you do really well. You've got a good shape naturally and blah, blah, blah. So one thing led to another. I entered it. Zero idea what I was doing. And I ended up winning, which kind of then opened my eyes to more of these shows. And, you know, it's kind of those things. Once you hear of one thing, then you hear from another and another. My CF is definitely a driving force for it, definitely. The CF is part of me, but it's not me. It's like saying that defining myself as having blue eyes. It's just part of me. It's not what makes me up and it's not my personality. But if you took CF away from me, I'd be pretty happy. 
happy. At the same time, I wouldn't be who I am today without it because it's given me that fire that a lot of people don't have. A lot of people are kind of just happy to just cruise through life and take things for granted. Whereas people at CF either have two ways of looking at things. One is, woe is me and, you know, why do I have this and sucks? Why can't someone else have it? Or there's people like me and there's another girl, Sophie Holmes, who has cystic fibrosis, who just take it and go, you know what? Instead of using it as a crutch, I'm going to use it as a sword. I could lean on it or I could use it. It's definitely helped me become who I am today. You do have to make it a choice that you can let this be down or you can use it to kind of propel yourself up and it's it's some people do struggle with that but it depends on a myriad of things you know it can be your upbringing it can be your friends it can be your work it can be loved ones whatever it's it's nice to know that people are with cystic fibrosis are as proactive as they are which is good ben has a huge social media following many of which are parents of young children with cf he also appeared on the front cover of the january 2016 issue of men's fitness. I guarantee if you told my parents that when I was born, that this kid's going to be on the cover of men's fitness, they would have been like, all right, cool. I'm going to see pigs flying outside if, you know, if, if I step out. But it's one of those feelings that I'm like, oh, wow, I've done that. That was a year ago. I actually shot with them a year ago. Again, that's one of those things that I'll be able to show my kids, my grandkids. It's just a testament of how hard I've worked. And it's just one of those milestones. And now I've done it though, I'm like, what else can I do? You know, it's just another, it was just another goal. And I didn't want to have this completely airbrushed image of me looking perfect because that's not me. But yeah, kept it pretty clean they kept my scar in which is the most important thing I said to them like do not remove these scars because if you do I'm not going to be in this cover I want people to see the fact that I have got scars because a lot of people with cystic fibrosis may have the same as me the amount of kids and parents I get you know contacted by just showing them pictures you know for instance I, I put up my Instagram me taking my nebulizer while I was doing online work and I knew in my head that if I saw that or if my mum and dad had seen that when I was younger that would make me want to do them so I was aware of that I'm aware that from experiences of people saying this to me that their kids look to me like I'm Superman to me that's a dream come true because I've always wanted to be a superhero if this is the way I get to be one I'm happy with this because these kids look to me like if Ben's doing it I'm going to do it the fact that I can put up a post and that encourages just people like commenting in the thread below i showed this to my child he was complaining about taking his nebs he's just going straight taking them and that is amazing to me you take everything away from me and as long as i had that ability to make someone do something that maybe they see is a bad thing and make it a good thing that's incredibly powerful to me as ben said you can use cystic fibrosis either as a crutch or as a sword but some people like rue face situations where it feels like all the effort in the world won't help them. Even then, the sheer resilience of some people is just incredible. I personally did not want to be on the transplant list. Some people think it's the best solution and try to um, get placed when you know they are in end stage. So I was the complete opposite and I was placed and I thought, oh my God, this is the end of the world. I was placed in November and I think I was 20-ish percent and I did decline. I actively decided and I actually remember messaging my friend. I said, I'm going to get myself off the transplant list. It was like a conscious, a very horrible journey to get to that point. But it was a conscious decision to get myself off the list. I'd spoke to one other person who managed to do it. And she said, oh, yeah, so you're going to get yourself off the list like I did. And I thought, oh, yeah, I can do it because, you know, there's someone else that I know who's done it. I kept going to these assessments. I kept requesting to go back to Harefield Hospital to um, be reassessed. And it was only 14, two weeks ago, that they finally approved me to be taken off the list. And 
thankfully they saw the potential within all my clinics and within my you know the lung function graphs and stuff that being put together that I am on a very positive upwards trend at the moment when you're placed on the list you are constantly phone attached by side you have dreams that your phone's gonna go off and start ringing with lungs and I did have one false alarm it's now very surreal so I feel very detached from any sort of obligation to be careful about you know going on holiday which I haven't done in a very long time you know I feel like I'm able to live a very free life it's motivated me a lot more to you know work hard at university and work hard with my treatments but I say it hasn't really sunk in yet I don't think in my back of my mind I'm still thinking I'm a transplant awaiting patient which I'm not which was very strange when I told my mum she burst out crying she was like oh my goodness you know you're free but I still haven't I don't think I realized it sounds very strange but I don't think I have that scary place that you never think you're going to be and you know when they mention the word transplant you think it's the end to actually improve from that place yeah it's very odd i am also quite proud of that because i think it is quite a rarity that a lot of, i mean i'm very lucky as well to have got myself from that place you don't hear of it often it is hitting it in a bit a bit more because i'm oh, strange but yeah i'm sat here with a massive grin on my face because it doesn't feel real <laughs> Straight from the Lungs is produced by me, William Marler, and recorded at Birmingham City University. Thank you to Siobhan, Fiona, Jerry, Darren, Beth, Nick, Ben, Rue, Dr Helen Barr, and my wonderful mum and dad, Liz and Jerry. Thanks to Pamela Scarborough for letting me use clips from Paxter, which you can check out by going to paxter.com. That's P-A-C-T-S-T-E-R dot com. Thanks also to East Midlands Today for letting me use clips from my story about the London Marathon. And of course, thanks to Sam Lewis for his keen ear and ever helpful advice. The beautiful music you heard was by Ben Wetherill. Make sure to head over to our website, lungspodcast.co.uk, where you can find extra breaths from me and my guests, which is all the bits that didn't make it into the main episode, and illustrations by Vicky Neville. In the next episode, we'll be talking about how to handle cystic fibrosis at school, and its impact on making friends. Until then, thanks for listening.